The His Girl Friday podcast is brought to you in part by Messenger Fellowship, living the kingdom, fulfilling the call, proclaiming the truth. Good evening, everyone. This is yours, truly, Cameron Fry, Tisco Friday, coming at you on a rare Saturday Night Live edition of the podcast. Uh, Tonight, we're going to continue our Miracle in the Making, the Jubilee Journey series. This is technically part six, as far as the content on our website, the the, the written post edition. Podcast-wise, I think this is either the third or the fourth episode that we've done so they don't exactly line up but i believe that we're now part six on the website and then part four of the podcast so just wanted to offer that disclaimer up front but tonight's going to be a little bit different than the other again episodes i i think that part of the reason for me is i just feel more revved up than in episodes past in pods past just because I've had time to really process what I'm about to say. And there's certainly been some moments this week where I just felt drained and worn out, afraid, exhausted, um, nerves shot, etc. And I'm still there, but I think it's just been nice to have a day off, not going to work, just not a whole lot of responsibilities. And I mean, there's plenty going on behind the scenes, but as far as what we can't control, it has affected just how we schedule out and plan things so some days some weekends there's not much going on because we have to wait for certain things to fall into play i'm speaking mainly on the house front Uh, for those of you don't recall our house flooded about three four weeks ago and working we're having to be the middlemen between contractors adjusters and insurance company they're not all on the same page right now all of them treating us well but you know when your house floods and you only have a one-story home i mean we're, it doesn't take a rocket science to understand why we would have to move out and vacate the premises as things are you know, essentially the floor plan of the house is getting a facelift. And it's the silver lining is insurance can help us out with you know upping the value of the home when all said and done. But just getting there and knowing what the limits are and what we can afford and without getting too much into the weeds, it's a headache process. And we'll keep you posted on that. I'm really trying to and list two for sure. Just we're hoping that when Juby is released, whether it's a month, month and a half, or two months from now, that there's home for her to come back to. And there's a realistic possibility that's not going to happen. Uh, the longer she's in the NICU, the more we have a chance and more of the time space to make slash help coordinate that reality. But so much is in God's hands, and at this point, we're just along for the ride and. Like I, I'm about to say later, it's just, why not count it all joy? It's it's human nature. It's secondhand to the flesh to be overwhelmed, to be nervous, apprehensive, angry, frustrated. And it's okay. But if you're going to bed at night, if you wake up in the morning and you're still just at a loss, feeling deprived, feeling wasted, just... I suppose if you don't deal with some of the root issues, some of the heart matters, the season overall can feel worse than it actually is. So, 
I'm going to jump in tonight and we're going to touch on uh, some passages of scripture as well. The last three months, it's been quite the journey even there. And, and certainly I'm, I'm glad that Liz is feeling well, that her energy, she's almost back to normal self and recovered from the physical trauma of August. But this week, and I'm going to unpack uh, the latest chaotic moment and just a sequence of it seems like a turnstile or a kind of a carousel of bizarre encounters or occurrences. And I'm going to share what happened on Monday in just a moment that really precipitated the point of this particular pod. It's been another week of just dodging arrows and I, f- I felt the target on my back. I feel like the arrows have been coming from a lot of different angles of late and they're not hitting me in the heart necessarily. I feel like they're more hitting me in the backside and that's a place you could take them. Um, And in some cases, I almost feel like God is letting the arrows be shot at me, but he's not letting me die. He's not letting me be so overcome or tempted to overcome what I can't handle. And I feel like my belief, my trust has still been anchored throughout this crazy stretch. It's been almost a quarter now of nonstop crap, really. It's just been a lot of crud hitting the fan and not knowing how to deal with it, at at least in the moment, but soon finding the way out and relying on God. And it's been a sweet season in certain ways. I'm going to talk to you tonight about how when you encounter and when you endure these really brutal stretches, I'm talking about like top three, four, five worst seasons of your life. I think for me, this has been the challenging, most challenging season I've ever endured. And I, and I don't like hyperbole. You guys know this. But it's it's up there. I can't think of a stretch. I know that back in 2007 through about 2011, back, you know, college years, I was lost, but my head was in the clouds and I didn't have, um, the magnitude was just different, you know, uh, you can't scale them apples and oranges. Uh, this is not a lot of what's happened. It's not coming out of places of sin or immaturity. In fact, I feel like it's because, uh, listen, I, we've done things right a lot. You know, it's part of the reason why we're being allowed to grow and mature through this together. Still, again, in the flesh, I could be honest with you, I am done. I am just, I'm finished. I'm fed up, so hungry, starving at the same time. Remember when I was like, okay, Lord, I'm wrestling through the whys. I want to know why, but I'm content in not knowing or at least being delayed, like the whole why thing being punted out just knowing that, okay, you're going to reveal your truths and purposes in due time. There's enough right in front of me, uh, not in the troubleshooting, but just in the pure basic trust, the drawing board of trust that I can hang my hat on. Forget why. I just want to know when. When will things get better? When will things start to turn around? It's only natural. Again, I delight in Juby's progress. It's not that I don't appreciate the journey of her growth and the prayer and having to tend faith throughout this, the literal baby steps one must take during these intense stretches at large. But when it's Monday morning and you've been out of home for three months, it just hits you. Sometimes the only 
source of sanctuary, the only place you feel comfortable or safe in is a place of refuge, is your car, is your vehicle. For me, whenever I feel very overwhelmed, I will get in my car and I'll just drive. And I'll just process the crap out of life with God and just pray and vent. It's not, you know, again, not while, but Lord, it's just like, I just need your help. I need your guidance. I need your strength. I need something from you to make it through this. And I just am going to be still and rest, but I want to feel like I'm in motion. I want to feel like I'm moving. So I'll get in my car and just drive sometimes or sometimes just sit in the driveway and just, again, be still. Just quiet it and practice some of what I've learned with EMDR over the past year and a half. I'm not doing that anymore, but that season's run its course. But there's still plenty I've learned through Christian counseling over the years and practice that I can employ now through this. But on Monday morning, that place, again, of safety became a, quite the opposite. So what happened was is that I'm going into work. My car is not in the driveway this time. It's paralleled uh, on the curb. My parents or my in-laws uh, yard. We had had we celebrated Halloween the night before. I had to reposition my car so it's not in its usual spot. But it was in a place where I didn't have to reverse back. I could just get up and go, go from park to drive, and be on my way. So I actually so I, it's an automatic. It's a 2011 Honda Civic. It's not my car, I should say. It's my sister's car letting me borrow through the season, going to the NICU and back. It's made life a lot easier. And I'm blessed that she would let me use that for a short time. And so, um, and I'm, uh, so I, I put it in drive and I have this thought oh, I left something in the van, our family, our primary vehicle. It's a 2013 town and country. I, I put the car in park, so I think. And, I'm like, my thought is I'm just going to grab whatever, you know, this out of the car and um, just bring it back. Uh, there's just something I needed to get for the day. And apparently what had happened, I didn't put the car in park. I had landed the stick. Somehow there was this freak gear glitch where, you know how the top two options, you got park, reverse, and then drive is further down. Um Apparently, the stick landed between park and reverse. I get out of the car, and as I'm getting out of the car, the car is not moving yet. It's not until I start walking a few paces towards the van that I note to my whore, to my chagrin, that my Honda Civic uh, is moving, and it's moving at a very healthy clip. It is jettisoning in a very negative direction it's not going straight back on the street it based on the position of the wheels it is making the semicircle so it's quickly going across the street it's a residential subdivision neighborhood so this is not like a trafficked area uh but it doesn't take long it's only a matter of seconds before this car is in the, my neighbor's yard and the neighbors across the street they have a car that is coming at them and the door was left open because, again, I thought I was left it in park. So the door clips the mailbox. It's not cemented down. It's it's a wood post. It's not an expensive mailbox. Uh, so it hits the door, and the car is heading towards. It's, it's curving to a point where it's gonna. If it's gonna hit the house, it's gonna hit hit the garage area, and the car. There's a car. 
that's normally in the driveway, but it's parked on the grass, maybe because of the Halloween festivities. I don't know. They wanted to make it easier for trick-or-treaters. Either way, this car is not is on the grass on the side of the driveway opposite from the mailbox. This car is curving around. I just warp speed to the car, jump in. Thankfully, the door was already open, so I didn't have to open it. It actually saved me some time, and in fact, that could it could have been disastrous if the door was closed. Uh, I get in, put it in park, brake. I thought that I had hit the car behind me. I thought that this car had made impact. Um, it, ha- it happened so quickly. It was such a blur. I get out of the car, and I realize that... Um, my car didn't impact the neighbor's car. It came within a foot, maybe even less than that, maybe like eight, nine, and ten inches from impact. And boy, I tell you, if that would have, if that car, the speed it was moving, my car, if it was moving, if it would have continued its trajectory, it would have left a mark. And you're talking about a very messy insurance situation. Because uh, again, it's not technically my car; it's my sister's car, and insurance follows the. Uh, the owner of the vehicle, not so much the driver. So I talked to the neighbor, the mailbox thing. It's it's not even an issue at all. Just a little bit of cement base. And he was just relieved that the car under the circumstances was turning in a way where it missed the house. And I was able to react fast enough for the car to not collide with his. I'm, I get out and I'm shaking. I'm trembling. And it's like, oh man, that could have been so much worse, but crap. There's clear damage to the door to to my car, my sister's car, and I realized that the door wasn't going to shut based on the nature of the damage. And it's the situation could have been so much worse. It was like a microcosm for the season. I was like, I was talking to my boss about how I needed to take that day off to just recalibrate. She's like, you know, she's aware so much is going on, and while it stinks, while it sucks, it could be so much worse. And it's not wishful thinking. I kind of felt in the middle when assessing the situation. Either way, it was still a bizarre freak accident slash situation. And we were able to, you know, my family and I were able to resolve it within the day. Now I'm like, okay, what else could happen that I just do out of routine, out of habit, what else could go wrong? Don't, yeah, so I've been in this up and down place where I'm just a little frozen right now. I am frozen. There's a good type of stillness and there's a bad type of stillness. And I feel like I've been straddling the line between the two. And I haven't given up. Again, sometimes I wonder if not knowing how to not believe is part of what's working for me. As I, yet as I continue to wrestle and keep my head above these waters, I'm discovering new depths to what fate is like at the end of its rope. Because that's exactly where I'm at. I feel very much at the end of my rope. I'm discovering what that place looks like. I've thought about it. I've talked about it. But until you're there, you really don't know. You really can't relate or resonate with that. You have to go through these high waters up to your neck you have to endure just it really has to be next level for you to know what it's like to really be at the end of yourself it's a gloriously terrifying place one you relish and yet long to let go of at the same time 
like many paradoxes, it's a confusing dichotomy. You can appreciate the trials in a sense that, okay, vertical reliance becomes a little bit easier is not the right word, but you're compelled to it more organically. It's it's uncomfortable. It's an, it's an achy burn as opposed to a contagious high, but you know, okay, there's, you know, it's becoming, it's not becoming more difficult to believe that there's something God has for Liz and I specifically through this endurance and perseverance. There's something that is waiting for us that God has predestined and ordained for us to discover. And it could just be a collection of very important life lessons that we can use to minister to people. It might be limited to that, but I really believe there's something else in store and it it goes beyond even Juby's health. And even if it was just that plus the life lessons learned through the season, that's more than enough. But I trust God, again, as something in store once the season blows over. It's not getting harder to move. It's still getting harder to, again, to move, to leave the house, to function. We know we're hard-pressed on every side right now, but we're not crushed. We know we're perplexed on multiple fronts, yet not yet in the place of corporate despair. Still, the temptation to think otherwise entices me at times. And I think about how can the life of Jesus fully manifest when all I can do is stand? I know stillness is a good place to be. There's a right way about it. And it can, again, allow us to receive from the Lord in times we really need to receive from Him in a fresh way. And yet, I could also be like, well, how can you be glorified when I'm just being so still and frozen in time? How can your glory be revealed through me when I'm this lost, searching for a flashlight, a horizon to light my way? I could stiff arm fear all day, but at day's end, I just want to know where I'm headed. And I'm sure I'm not the only one out there wondering that right now. Or something similar. I'm disoriented. I'm fatigued. But my charge tonight is simple. If you find yourself at the end of your rope, rejoice in the stillness. You may feel like you're trembling on a precipice, but where courage lacks is also where much is given. Same thing with strength. In time, you will be able to strain forward to what lies ahead. But for now, embrace the opportunity to receive... As you endure and persevere, you know it produces character and hope. Romans 5, 1 through 5. Let steadfastness have its full effect. Comes from Hebrews 3. And hold fast the confession of hope without wavering. Even when you step out of your car in a freak Gary glitch, cause it to launch into a neighbor's yard before you somehow, some way, stop it from crashing into their property. Count it all joy. Dare to tally up his goodness and scale your conflicts accordingly. Take it from one who's in the trenches with you if you're going through a tough time. Your life is not as broken as you think it is. And even if it is, there's not a solve or repair unbeknownst to God. So why not trust the handiness of his hands as you trade in your sorrows? So... I was talking to a colleague earlier this week about just the sequence of events and unfortunate happenings, if you will, what happened Monday specifically and how this has kind of gotten me to a point of near breaking. I'm just, uh, this has really had an effect more than I'm letting on, um, even though I've somewhat calibrated from the mental fog I was experiencing Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. 
just kind of going through and chronologically sequencing life the past three months. And she reminded me something that was really solid because I've used the end of rope metaphor with several people, mostly in family. Uh, but I, when I busted it out with this colleague at work, she's a believer and she's an older sister type, you know, like we're, we're in the trenches occupationally uh, the day in of our roles. Uh, we wear the same hats and we problem solve in similar fashions almost every day. But uh, she is attuned in the scriptures and she reminded me that Matthew 5, verse 3, the Beatitudes start with that metaphor, that word picture of the end of the rope. Specifically, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there's more of God and his rule. Verse 4, the next beat, that's Beatitude 1. That's how it starts. I'm like, wow. That is something. I know that in most translations it referenced porn spirit, but porn spirit being synonymized or equated, linked to being at the end of your rope, I think is really powerful. At least it hits me. It hits home pretty profoundly. Verse 4, you're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. That's more the life attitude that Jesus alludes to. Uh, for those who mourn, that, that, that's the mourning uh, when you're going through suffering beatitude. Blessed are those who mourn, I should say. The message links that sense of mourning to feeling you've lost what is most dear. Uh, and that, and loss is not necessarily a permanent thing. It could just be a temporary thing. So let's not jump to death necessarily. Um, even though it could mean that for some people, but... I just think it's very interesting how, I mean, just the gospel gate coming out of Jesus, one of his first mega public sermons, uh, you know, the feeding of the 5,000 on that hillside. I, I know he wasn't using, he wasn't speaking out of, from a message filter, but that's essentially what he's saying here. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there's more of God in his rule. It's like he knew his audience and a lot of people coming to him were going through some form of hell, some form of radical suffering. He anticipated this. And it's interesting that he doesn't build up to it, but he just starts identifying and relating to people just again, right out of the gate, right off the cusp. And really, it's the first two Beatitudes in sequence the poor in spirit and those who mourn that I can, you know, they captivate me most because that's, it reflects most accurately where I'm at. So I'm at the beginning of the Beatitudes in my own life right now. And I do feel small. And insignificant at times. I do feel pathetic. Uh, I don't feel like I'm getting so tripped up and beating myself up like lost and sucked into this quicksand, this quicksand of depression and anguish. I know that I am loved by him. It doesn't take long for me to cling on to that and I don't let go. I am unique. I'm wonderfully made. God has purpose in this. I do not doubt the first second. But I could be poor in spirit while admitting those things and 
we dig into these these beatitudes a bit more. Beatitudes essentially are life attitudes that Jesus is wanting to call out and summon. Here's what you're going through. This is the way out. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And this is what it looks like when you receive me as the way, the truth, and the life. The attitude that is true in spirit. What does it really mean, though, when you apply Jesus' grid to it? When you are vulnerable, you acknowledge your weakness... And you press into God to receive a strength. For those who are in spirit, it's being free to recognize that need. It's the, it's the awareness that, you know what? I'm coming to the forefront with this shame, with this guilt. But I understand that God wants to free me from those things. He wants to free me from what is causing me to feel poor in spirit. What's causing me, you know, even the stuff outside of our inner man, some of it's self-induced, some of it is life happens and when it rains, it pours. Coming to the end of your rope can look a lot of different ways for a lot of different people. But at the end of the day, you have to be free to recognize your need and know it's okay to be transparent and vulnerable in doing that. I'm reminded of something that I wrote last year. This This topic hits home to that. I think it was a post about seeing the cross at the center of our work. And one of the points I made was if we're to mature in wisdom, we must see the pathway is embracing weakness in light of God's sovereignty. Embracing our weakness reflects our focus to God's strength in any situation. And and the Beatitudes helps at least starts the process of getting us to think that way. It's a bit more of redirecting focus with the end goal to be free of something so that God can (laughs) not only break the chains and the shackles, but then fill our empty cups with something specifically exclusively from him. It's not just taking away something, but replacing it with the right mentality, with the right virtue, fruit. Either way, when we talk corporately, our work can be responsive worship as we embrace weakness and lean on Jesus. Same thing with suffering in the moment, through the ups and downs of life. There's something that God is wanting us to not only learn but to, and discover, but also um, it's a chance to be shaken so that what needs to fall off falls off. And then from there, what needs to, and it may not happen all at once. It may be, okay, what falls off falls off first. And then what needs to be accrued, what needs to be <laughs> stitched or, you know, whatever that newness, that freshness of God, we have the opportunity from there to accept it. For those who mourn, we're talking about porn spirit for the most part. For those who mourn, what does that really mean? It's, it gives you, well, it really means that you have an opportunity to be free in admitting where you've been wrong. Being free to admit that I'm wrong and, and being not only sensitive to that awareness, but also just that supernatural joy. It's like, yes, I get to come clean with a contrite spirit. I can admit my iniquities, my wrongness. As God breaks off the damaging emotion of regret off my life, or something similar to regret, the whole point 
of that beatitude, you're blessed when you feel lost what is most dear to you, only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. It's hope. That is hope in motion. It points to love. It points to divine acceptance. And in, you know, in all of this, really, you could capture a different facet of God's sovereignty in all this. Uh, but for those who are poor in spirit, what need does it meet? To be acceptance for mourn, it's more of to have hope. Kind of go back to the story that we were discussing earlier and just kind of how this really bodes well. Like just being able to see that banner in my heart of late. It's not necessarily one I want to keep going. I, I do want that banner to be removed at some point. The whole I'm at the end of my rope. But for now, it's true to where I'm at. It There's a realness and a rawness and an honesty there. Just being able to know deep down in my soul, I don't have to deny this. I could accept the fact that I'm at the end of my rope and that's such a, it, it's terrifying in the flesh, but it's glorious in the supernatural and it rounds to glory and points to glory. And it, and it really, it can't, we, we can discover the glory of God through those, these trials and tribulations and sufferings if we let them, um, if we're committed to not blockading what God wants to do, channel, summon, Again, it's not as bad as you think it is because as long as you have a God on your side who is there, who is near, who's drawn near to you, who already loves you, whether you know it or not, don't want to assume that you know that if you're just dialing and listening to this. But there's a lot that is for you and it goes back to what happened from before the beginning of time, just before you were born and it together in your mother's womb. There was a specific story called, predestined, ordained, you are anointed and appointed. Doesn't mean you're walking that way, but I'm just like, you know what? I am anointed and appointed to carry out the unique callings of my life. I have to do it through this stretch, but there's a beginning and an end, just like God is an alpha of the omega. Why is he alpha omega? Because even though he knows no ends, he for us, we need to recognize him at both junctures, at both <laughs> terminuses. God is there when the you know when these things happen, when they start off, and as we go through them, we walk through the hell hand in hand. That's what God wants to remind us through all of this. Forget the beatitudes for a second. Just God wants to know He's there, willing to hold your hand. He's whispering in your ear, sweet encouragements. Keep going. It's by my grace, you're sustained. Keep going. Do not stop and be overcome by the evil or by the the random spurts of oppression, the demonic assaults and attacks, the schemes of the enemy. Do not be overwhelmed by them, but be so raptured by the good. Be so overcome by my goodness that it compels you to keep going towards my heart. Just let my heart beat. Be that light, that horizon that you're craving and don't look back. Whatever you do, do not look back. Now I'm done. Go forth. Have a wonderful week. Hope you got something out of this. Hope some of this truth resonates with you and your spirit and that you're encouraged. And if you're walking through your own stuff right now, regardless of what it is, just know, as I say often, you got this. (laughs) And I'll catch you on the fries always. Peace.